You're tuned into Finding Your Frequency with hosts Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. Connect with the show. Call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. And welcome back to Finding Your Frequency. I'm your host, Jeff Spinard. And I'm your co-host, Ryan Treasure. Welcome back from the commercial break. And here we go, ladies and gentlemen, with our, uh, our guest for the day. Uh, he is known as the grandfather of possibilities, leading the way with new innovations for the future. Uh, Mr. Ron Klein is a strategic advisor, business consultant, mentor, problem solver, and speaker. Uh, Ron helps inventors and entrepreneurs with their intellectual property and creations to take them to market and sits on the board of directors for two companies, Carly's Cause, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Uh, They're dedicated to providing technology, therapeutic services, financial assistance to verbal and nonverbal children with physical disabilities and neurological disorders, as well as uh, FriendMe, which FriendMe is an easy-to-use mobile app and web-based interactive membership system uh, for acquiring, selling, uh, retaining uh, customers. Not only is Ron a high-powered business executive, he is also a senior Olympian bicyclist, medal winner, and sailing enthusiast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Mr. Ron Klein. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Jeff. That's a great introduction. And thank you, Ryan. Thanks for having me on today, and it's a pleasure. Absolutely. In fact, I was on earlier in the week with Clarissa. Okay. Um, one you of are in high demand, my friend. Thank you. you. (laughs) And, you know, I could have gone on and on and on with the accolades, but I figure, you know, instead of just me reading it all, uh, let's talk to you. So uh, before we get into that, uh, we were talking uh, just before we get on, but you were in the heart of the hurricane. Right. Uh, I live in Sarasota, Florida. That's on the West Coast, right off the Gulf of Mexico. And it looked like it was heading directly here because it had hit Naples, which is further south, and it hit the Keys. And we were hunkering down, and we figured, okay, we're going to make it fine. But then it continued on on up the coast, and I figured, we better get out of here. I don't know how how strong the windows are here and so on and so forth. So we went to my daughter's house in Orlando, Florida. And on our way there, when we finally arrived, we heard over the radio that the storm shifted and it was heading directly for Orlando, Florida. So we had the best of both worlds. We took a direct hit, but we survived. Everything is fine. Minimal damage. And finally, the power is back on and we've we've got Internet and everything is history. And we're we're all thankful to be alive. Wow. Good. Well, we're we're glad you're safe, and you know I uh, was talking to your wife Arlene, you know, and checking on you know how you guys were doing. I know she was holding tight. You guys weren't going anywhere for a little bit, and then I guess at the end you decide to go uh, to your daughter's house. So just glad everything's everything's going well. Everything's fine. All right. Now finding your frequency. Uh, We are all about the journey, how you found your frequency. Um, Tell us where where it all started. Well, it starts with my philosophy, okay, my can-do attitude. I say in order to be successful, you have to be smart, daring, and different. And when I say smart, 
I don't mean you have to have a PhD from Harvard. I mean, right. pay attention. Know what's going on. Learn something new every day. Be aware. Even if you think it's not interesting when you're exposed to something, tuck it away in your memory. Every little piece of knowledge is valuable. And then to be um, daring, don't be afraid to make mistakes. You know, if you paint something the wrong color, paint it a different color. You're not going to learn anything if you're not making mistakes. Don't make the same mistake twice. So you have to be smart and daring. But the most important thing is to be different. And when I say be different, you don't sell ideas. You provide and sell benefits. Whatever you do has to provide a benefit. So all of the things I'm known for as, as an inventor, I always classified myself as I'm a guy that simplifies everything, establishes what's the given, what are you working with, What's the goal you're looking for? Everything else in between is just the minutiae. It's the journey. So my whole principle is I'm an innovator, not an inventor, although I've got lots of inventions. But I don't sit in a think tank all day holding my head saying, what am I going to invent today? I recognize a need. If it provides a benefit, I find a solution. So that's the whole thing to my career, and then I can tell you what I've come up with. How's that? I love it. <laughs> so, you know, when you when you talk about your your inventions and you're an innovator, not an, an inventor, um, is necessity the mother of invention or not? <laughs> it is. I mean, we can call it invention. It's intellectual property. I've got lots of IT. However, I always feel that it's the innovation. For instance, I guess the thing that I'm most known for is my my first big change, which I never intended to change the world, but it did was the magnetic strip on the credit card. Mm -hmm. And that was probably one of the simplest challenges I ever had because I don't look at things as a problem. I say problems are frustrations. A problem should be turned into a challenge, and there's a gift and an opportunity behind every challenge. So uh, back in the early 60s, back in 1964, and then I patented this in 66, a large uh, director of a large department store came to me and said, you know, People are coming in making charge purchases. They didn't even call them credit card purchases then. They said they make a charge purchase, the, uh, the merchant writes up a slip, and then he has to get look up in a long and a great big book that we give them every month. The credit card companies give a, the merchants a big book every month with all the negative account numbers in it, and it's in chronological order, but he would have to look up to make sure your number's not in there. Right. And if it wasn't in there, he would continue to write up the slip, emboss it, and go through the sale. Very, very slow process. That's exactly the so, question I was going to ask you too. Is what what problem? What, yeah, what problem were you solving when you came up with that? And you're answering okay. that. This is great detail. So said, Thank you. The problem is the burden is on the merchant, and it's too slow. And I said, well, that's a pretty simple challenge. I'll speed the process up and take the burden off the merchant. So the first thing I did was I took all the negative account numbers that they would give them every month, and I put that into some kind of memory system. There was no internet in those days, and there was no uh, um, PCs or anything right. like that, but we had a memory system. And then I gave the merchant a little keypad, and I said, key in the account number that you see on the little piece of plastic, which was just the embossed name and the account number, yep. and if it doesn't come up in the memory system, person's good to go. Well, that, that would speed things up a little bit, but it still put the burden on the clerk, but it was pretty good. Early However, yeah. that was the first <laughs> point-of-sale device. So I patented that. What year are we in now? That's 1966. Okay, 66. But then I said, you know what? We really need some smarts in that little piece of plastic. And right around that time, reel-to-reel tape recorders came out. You remember Mm -hmm. those? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, and if you had, you could record the music, you could record voice, right. and it had a couple of motors on it that would keep the speed constant so it wouldn't sound like Mickey Mouse or Donald Duck. And then I figured, geez, if I could take a little piece of that tape, record the account number on it, and then build a little device that mimics a tape recorder, paste a little piece of tape on the back of the credit card, and make you the motor. Run it through the, the little reader, okay? How simple that was. Mm-hmm. And then I put some kind of synchronization on there so that you can run it through at a reasonable speed, but it didn't have to be constant. Remember, you'd push it in slow and pull it out fast? Yeah. So that was the coding I put in. But how simple was that? A little magnetic, a piece of magnetic tape on the back of the credit card and a device that mimics it, which was a simple thing that was, went on the merchant's account case, and then you were the motor. You pushed it through. Etched. And, you know, that, that was how, that's how I simplify a challenge and find the gift behind the challenge. That's just incredible, though, Ron, to just, you know, think of that. And, I mean, oh, he talks about it like it's all, yeah, yeah right. super, you know, I just solved the problem. You know, we needed well, to do this. You know it was what? super easy. <laughs> my, my, background, my background is engineering and mathematics. However, I have, I'm a good laser listener because I listen to what people's problems are, and I say, what's the challenge that I can solve? Then the fact that I'm technical, I was able to solve it myself. If I wasn't technical, I would have had somebody else take the idea and solve it for me. If you guys were there, you would have done the same thing. It was a simple challenge. You definitely have a solution, man. The interesting thing is, with with the world of obsolescence that we live in, and I got I filed the patent in '66 and it was awarded in 1969. The magnetic strip on a credit card is still being used. Why did that survive after all these years when everything is obsolete in a matter of months? Anybody have any ideas? Wow. If you don't, I'll tell you. The most <laughs> so important did, thing. <laughs> so, so tell us, then, then how, how did it survive so long? It survived because it doesn't require energy. And if it doesn't require energy, yeah, it doesn't good. radiate. And if it doesn't radiate, it can't be pirated at the point of sale. Any, any fraudulence at the point of sale with the magnetic strip happens after the point of sale. It would happen at the man in the middle or at the server. And when you think about the chip, that's a whole other story. I don't want to, that'll take up the whole hour. <laughs> <laughs> so how do these incredible advancements in, uh, of invention come to you? Is this, do you dream of them? Uh, does it come to you in the shower? <laughs> well, <laughs> some of them do because I think of, of, of a need. For instance... I did the MLS for real estate, multiple listing service. Yes. These, these folks came to me and said, we have a problem. You know, people want to move from point A to point B and so on and so forth. I don't want to take up too much time. And I came up with special terminals and the whole philosophy of MLS. That fixed it. He's like a, then he's in, like a database master. That was master, in 1967. Right. Yeah, that was in 1967. 67. Wow. 60s were good. And then, then uh, right around in between 67 and 68, touch-tone phones came out. And I figured, geez, I got a great idea because people want to know what's going on with their account at the bank. Why don't we use the touchstone phone to call the bank's computer then touch in your, your account code? And I built a device that synthesized voice so that it would look up your account and turn your account information into voice. In fact, when I first invented it, it sounded very mechanical. It sounded like a robot. It's, and then I smoothed it out. They haven't got too much farther on that. That technology, yet the the voice still sounds mechanical. If, I don't know if you have an Alexa at home or Amazon Echo, but she still sounds mechanical. Right, right. <laughs> so that that was the principle then. I did that back in '68, and that was for the voice response for for banking. 
And then um, the company just started to grow. I did lots of other things. I, I helped Frank Perdue with a formula for the chickens to grow them in eight weeks. But the company started to grow rapidly, and I needed dollars, and I, I got a private placement and grew the company up to 125 employees because we were manufacturing quite a bit for multiple listing and manufacturing quite a bit for the banking industry. And then I needed more money because it was growing so fast, I took the company public and went on the stock market. Wow, and that was awesome. really a great deal. And right around that time, um, a large insurance company had the need for my products and wanted the company because they thought it was really going gangbusters. And I was starting to reach retirement age. I was 34 years old. And I figured, <laughs> okay, it's time well, to sell the company. Well, <laughs> you can't fish more than three weeks. I went crazy. <laughs> After three weeks... I went back to work and started another company, but that's a whole new story, and that was tremendous growth that took me to the New York Stock Exchange, and I had automated the New York Stock Exchange. And, wow. And you know, Ron, I'm, I'm looking at this, and I would just kind of map this out. So for 60 years, right, the credit card strip is still in existence, so it's been an ongoing you know, uh, item that you, you manufactured and created back in the 60s, and now it's almost 2018, so that's 60 years of credit card swiping um, that right. you're responsible for. So I have to say thank you, number one, for <laughs> the ease of access to my capital, and shame on you for allowing my wife to have the credit card. <laughs> <laughs> but man, that's just, it's amazing. I know the ease of the swipe. It just makes it so easy for you know people to, to get their credit cards and, and debit cards ran. It's just amazing that it's literally been sixty years. And I, I made yeah. a comment before about the Amazon Alexa, and so now I'm appalled at current technology that they haven't been able to figure out how to get the voice to not sound mechanical after sixty years. They just give it a little English <laughs> you know, accent. Talking about the credit card magnetic strip. I say the women really love me, but I'm not sure about the guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can see that well, for sure. And the story gets better. Then that really gets better because the opportunities, what I'm trying to do with, with most of my clients and most of the people out there is to show them that if you identify what the issue is and simplify it, and don't get caught up in the minutia. Don't get caught up in the journey. Yep. And just def define what it is that you what what the goal is. You can solve any problem, every issue. The the problem that most people do is they start in the middle, instead of saying, you know, what am I working with? It was like the old, the old uh, word problems we got in eighth grade. They would give you all kinds of ancillary information, a lot of nebulous data, but buried in all that information was a given and the solution that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. And that's what you have to do, filter all that out and say, okay, what's the given? What's the solution I'm looking for? Forget the journey right now and do it. And then as you hit little hurdles in the journey, that's stickability. Remember, there's only plan A. There is no other plan. Right. And failure is never an option. So what's the, hard the approach. <laughs> what's the hardest part between having that eureka moment of aha and an idea in getting past the fear of failure. There is no fear of failure nah, because what's nice. the worst case situation? Just painted a new color. Yep. Right? Love it. That's the worst case. You know, the, the best part of the story is when I finally went back to work after I gave sold the company and said, what am I going to do? I, don't, I know I don't want another 125 employees. I don't want to be a labor intensified. I want to come up with something good. And I had no idea as to what it was going to be. So I figured, until I can find something interesting, I'll rep other people's products. 
and I started selling communication equipment because I was pretty good in that area. Right. And I was calling on a client one day, and as I was trying to sell him a, a piece of equipment, I saw a bid sheet from Western Union on his desk, and that was one of the best opportunities I recognized. That's what I mean by you have to pay attention. And that bid sheet was for teletype machines that Western Union would put up for bid every month. And um, I asked this guy, I said, you know, what, what is this? And he said, well, you know, we're in the communication business, but we don't need any more teletype equipment. If you want to bid this, you can take the sheet. I took that thing, rented a truck, went to Western Union, which was about 60 miles from my home in New Jersey, and I started bidding on these teletypes. And the thing was such an opportunity because what I found was when they, they were deciding to divest themselves of all their teletype equipment after they refurb, and they put 12,000 teletypes up for sale of the real old Ooh. type, the type that they used to use on battleships, yeah, and yeah. the real old ones, the, the Model 28s. And I bid on them, pennies on a dollar. I figured, I'll go in the parts business. That's, huh. that's a good idea. And I won 12,000 teletypes. But I wasn't so smart. What happened was, they were all over the country. 4,000 were in a warehouse close to my home, 60 miles. That was, I was delated. 8,000 were all over the country. They were in Texas and California and, and Chicago. And they said, you know, Ron, you have to take possession of these things in 30 days. Huh. I said, oh, my God. What do I do now? Now I don't have a possession problem. I've got a liability problem. I can't walk away from them. How do I get rid of them? Right. So the first thing I figured, okay, you have a challenge. What's the given? You got a bunch of stuff you have to get rid of. You can make money on the 4000 that you have close to your home. How do you get rid of them? I called the junk dealer. And the junk man came out and he says, let's look and see what's in the bottom of these machines. Oh, yeah. Well, uh -oh. in the bottom of the machines was loaded with electronics. Mm -hmm. And all the electronic circuit cards were made with gold traces. Yep. Mm. And, and this was in the early 70s. Very nice. And gold at that time went, went up 20 times. And he said, you know, if we take these gold trace cards with all the components on them, put them into a cyanide bath, it eats the gold off the card, and it surfaces to the top. We'll skim it off, and we'll split it. We were loaded <laughs> with awesome. cash. You know what I mean? Uh, all because I read a bid sheet on a guy's desk. <laughs> How to recognize opportunity when it smacks you in the face. But it gets better. Now I had 8,000 pieces of junk because there was no electronics in only printers and keyboards and steel cabinets. <laughs> I called another junk dealer in, and I said, what do I have? Right. And he said, well, I'll tell you. These steel cabinets used to be on battleships, and they're loaded with chromium because they didn't want the cabinets to rust on out at sea. And I said, okay. He said, did you know that there's a foreign car dealer now who's just starting to input these cars into the U.S., and this was 75? Right. And he said, they're having a major rust problem. They would love anything that has chromium in them. I called that company. They took everything away. I was a fat cat with thousand <laughs> wow. machines and a lot of cash. Ron, hold that thought. we got to take a quick commercial break. Guys, okay. we're going to take a break here. Go check us out all over social media, at Radio Ryan 1, at Jeff Spinney 2. Of course, you can follow everything Finding Your Frequency on the website, findingyourfrequency.net, and facebook.com forward slash frequency net. Don't forget, we're going to go to this commercial break. Think about being smart, being daring, and different. We come back more with Ron Klein. Become our friend. So <laughs> when we left off, you were discussing 
You, yeah, we were, well, you were you were going into about the uh, the chromium right. and the and the card manufacturer who had purchased all of the stuff, and then we went to commercial break, and let's pick back up from there. Well, briefly, the Western Union put twelve thousand machines up for sale, and I didn't do my homework, and I did a dumb thing by bidding on them really cheap and winning the bid. <laughs> He's on the dollar. I never asked where they were. Mm-hmm. That's a big mistake. And I talked earlier about how I got rid of them and got rid of all the teletypes, and now I was in good shape because I had cash from the, the gold, gold that we got out of it, <laughs> and I still awesome. had 4,000 machines. And I figured now I'm in the parts business because everybody knew what teletypes were, and I can refurbish some of these or I can sell the parts for 50 cents on the dollar. I was happy. That's and a couple awesome. months later, after this whole operation, I got a call from the New York Stock Exchange, and I figured, oh, my God, why is the New York Stock Exchange calling me? And they said, we called Western Union because they had 273 special teletypes that we need for, for inquiry stations on the trading floor, and we're expanding the trading floor. This was in the early 70s. And they said they sold everything they had to a little company in New Jersey. Oh, you see. I like it. And I said, oh, okay. I said, well, what can I help you with? They said, well, we want to buy those machines. I said, you know what? I'll give you a full payout lease for two years, and I'll lease the machines to you. Because I I practically owned them for nothing. And they said, that would be wonderful. I set up a contract with the New York Stock Exchange. We put 273 machines in. Actually, we put in less and used some for spares. Right. And I said, but now what I would like is I want to maintain these things for you for the life of the machines on the trading floor. How great is that? They said, of course. We don't want to maintain them. It's all yours. I now started a maintenance company, hired a guy in New York, and we would run around the trading floor every day. And if a machine got sick, Mm -hmm. we would replace it with a spare. I would take it back to my little shop in New Jersey and have it repaired by a technician and then take it back the next day. So I was in the maintenance business all because I read a bid sheet on a guy's desk and started bidding at Western Union. Opportunity. Smart, daring, and different. So I'm on the trading floor every day at the New York Stock Exchange, and I'm making good money because we're maintaining these things on a monthly charge for each machine, plus I'm paying for getting the money on the lease. And I'm looking around and seeing this major company that's trading in a way where it's antiquated, pieces of paper and piled up on the floor. At the end of the day, you couldn't even walk. The paper was so high, and they're still using antiquated methods. And I started going to the management of the exchange, and I said, you know, I can automate this. I can simplify some of it. So I came up with program trading and other little things and building lots of little boxes, getting good contracts. The biggest thing that happened to me that changed my entire life, the bond trading floor was still an auction market. The New York Stock Exchange has two main functions. They trade equities, which is the stocks, and they trade bonds, which is the debt, corporate listed bonds of the companies that trade on the exchange. They had automated the stock market, but they never automated the bond market. And I said, God, that is so easy. I went to management and I said, I can automate this. And they said, Ron, forget it. They've been doing it like this for 205 years. They use telephones, they use their hand signals, it's an auction market. I said, if I can automate this, would you give me an exclusive license to disseminate corporate bond ah, information brilliant. to Wall Street? And they said, certainly, because it'll never happen. 
I entered into a contract with the exchange. <laughs> I built this little filter box that hooked up on their main line and took a video terminal, and it worked beautiful. You could just filter out the bonds and trade the bonds. So I started calling mold the bond traders all over Wall Street. And as soon as I would call, if I wasn't buying or selling a bond, they would hang up on me. I figured, oh, great. I built this wonderful thing, and I, now how am I going to sell it? So I, I gave it to one of the leading bond traders of the biggest Wall Street firm uh, who traded Now, what, what year are we in now? 1983. 83, okay. And I said to this guy, I said, I'm going to give this to you for 30 days, free of charge. I'm running a telephone line into your office from the New York Stock Exchange. Just try and use it. He's using it, and his phone rang off the hook. All the bond traders on the floor said, Joe, what are you doing? We can't buy a bond. You're topping every bond. He says, oh, well, I I get the information fast. They said, what are you talking about? He said, well, I I get the information before you do. They said, well, how are you doing that? He says, oh, well, you need one of those little Ron Klein boxes. (laughs) My phone rang off the hook. There were 1,500 traders, okay, who traded bonds on Wall Street. And I said, okay, these were fat times on Wall Street in 1983. (laughs) I said, everybody's got to join my club now. So it's $10,000 a trader to join my club. 1,500 traders. I hit the big time, okay? Yeah, you did. Especially back in the 80s. That's "That's a little stiff, but we can make that up in a couple of weeks. And I said, okay, but now you have to buy this little box. And we, we run the line into your office and you use this little box. And they said, no, we don't buy anything on Wall Street. We only rent. I figured, uh-oh. Well, the box cost me $100 to build. I said, how's $300 a month? They said, fantastic. <laughs> and it was in there for a quarter of a century, providing transparency to the New York Stock Exchange. And it was the biggest cash cow I ever built in my life because I read a bid sheet on a guy's desk. <laughs> That's amazing. Story? It all comes from a simple, it seems like a simple idea, or at least to you, a simple solution. Oh, it was. And it it ended up where I then put it into the American Stock Exchange, the Philly Stock Exchange, the CBOE, the the Comex, and it just grew and grew and grew, and it grew into a monster, and I owned that company for 36 years. I think it's an amazing story that you went from reading the bid sheet, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you pick up the teletypes and then because of the problem that you had with teletypes, it just kind of, uh, you know, lend its way. You were, you were following your frequency as you went through the path and then, and you're just, were in the right place at the right time where you were able to solve a problem. All one thing started and it dominoed all the way through to, you know, the Ron Klein box, which is just absolutely amazing. (laughs) And, and you know what? It wasn't even a strategic plan. It was just pay attention, yep. be aware. Yep. If you make a mistake and paint it the wrong color, change the color. Change the color, right. You know what? Change I, the color. It seems, okay, we've got the 60s, boom, uh, you took care of that. Now you're in the 80s and the stock exchange. So you just keep going with different ideas and innovations. And yeah, Okay, so where well, do we go from the stock exchange floor? Okay. Big time. <laughs> uh, I ran that all the way up into the early 2000s, and then I figured, okay, I'm going to retire again. So I, I failed at retirement <laughs> now the second time. And right. I figured, okay, but you know what? I was born in the, in the 30s, and I figured I'm not empty yet, and I'm not old. If you sit around or you just hit a little golf ball around, you're old just waiting around for you know what. Right, and right. I figured, 
not me. I said, I'm, I'm going to the end, so I'm full time. So I said, I'm gonna, I want to speak and tell my story to people and inspire them as to they can do it. You don't have to be the sharpest knife in the drawer. Mm-hmm. And I started speaking and consulting. I was doing all sorts of things. And then one day, I had a friend who is very, uh, he's totally blind, and I was sitting down and having breakfast with him. And this was a couple of years ago. And I said, Jim, what's on your wish list? He said, you know, I would love to have a gadget that's simple, economical, and, and uh, very, very easy to use, and it would help me identify everything that I come in contact with in my daily life, my prescription medications, my food, right. my clothing, so I can identify it. And I said, let me think about that. I went home and thought about it for two, two weeks, and I said, there's a lot of gadgets for the visually impaired out there. They're very expensive. Maybe I can do something with the cell phone, an app, that would be free and easy. And then I came up with special, unique QR-coded labels. Not like the regular QR-coded label, but something that's very unique. You paste that on any device you want to identify, point the phone at it, tell the phone what it is, Every time you point that to that label, it'll tell you what it is. Genius. If you want to change it, you can change it a million times. Even, and it's even good for the sighted, because let's say you're going to move, and you start throwing a whole bunch of stuff in your boxes, and you load up a box, you put a label in that yeah. box, you take the phone and tell, you, tell the phone everything that's in that box, point it to the label. Now when it gets to your new location, you've got a whole bunch of boxes. Yep. Just point the phone at the label and, and it says know everything in the box. what's in the box. That's awesome. So, and I've taken it to other extremes, and I've patented it, and I'm selling it all over the world. But when you say sell it, it's a free app, and you can buy 100 of these special little labels for 20 bucks. There's 260 million blind people in the world. Yeah. 20, uh, let's see, 24 million right here in the U.S. What blind person wouldn't invest $20 to have this adhesive label that you can reprogram unlimited number of times to tell them what they're identifying. They can put it on their clothing. Yeah. They can put it on their drugs, their prescription drugs, put it on anything. That's great. And then I've taken it to another level, which is even better than that. So it's keeping my mind busy, and I'm providing benefits. If I can help one blind person, it's wonderful. I've helped thousands all over the world. Just like the credit card thing, yeah. I was solving one problem for a big department store. I never knew it was going to help billions of people all over the world. My intention it, it, was amazing. provide a benefit. Amazing. Yeah, I, what, that's what, my story. What a, what a journey. Uh, and now uh, you're not stopping now. Uh, you're out there uh, on the speaker's uh, uh, circuit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm speaking all over the world now. It's great. Frank is out there with me, and I'm out there, and... Um, I'm just enjoying it because I'm, my, my purpose in life is to teach and help people that, you know, entrepreneurship is the only thing that's going to really save this country. Yeah. And that's what yep. we have. Agreed. We've got creativity. We've got development. And anybody can do it. You've got to have a can-do attitude. Uh, failure is not an option. There is absolutely not an option. You can do anything you want. But there is no such thing as a, as a problem. I think every one of your listeners should go home, open up their dictionary, look up the word problem, tear that page out, then take a highlighter and look up the word challenge, highlight it, because there's a gift behind every challenge. Ron, when you talk about challenges, 
and and you're 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 traveling the world you're meeting with entrepreneurs you're seeing people out in the space and you know doing your thing as a speaker and a motivator what is the biggest challenge facing humanity that needs solved today fear fear people have to get over fear fear is a criminal and there's no yeah. reason to be worried about anything you know what do you think what's the worst thing that can happen in one's life I don't want to say it, but we all know you you become expired. Right, right. And that okay. When it happens, it's over. Okay, and you go to Rainbow Bridge, and we'll all meet back up in Rainbow Bridge. Right. Everything else is just challenges. Um, Completely you can't agree make money with that. Or I mean, there's not a challenge that can't be solved. Right. Right. And we were talking about this during the break, but, you know, it's, I always say, you know, don't come to the table with problems uh, or challenges, come with the solutions. Yeah. And you're a solutions guy. Absolutely. It's fantastic. If it happens wrong, you know, I look at life as a big room with a front door and I say, okay, every challenge is I'm going to open the front door and look in that room and say, there's an opportunity in there. Should I go in? Yep. I don't close the front door behind me until I see a back door. And I say, okay, nice. worst case. If I go in and it's not right, it doesn't work, it's a catastrophe, ah, there's a back door. I can get out and start all over yep. again. Yep. Then I close the front door. And paint it another color. Yeah, paint it right. Yeah, paint it another color. Paint it a new color. Yep. Smart, daring, and different. Let's say it again. Smart, pay attention. Yep. You don't need a degree from Harvard. Be aware, learn something new every day. Daring, if you're not making mistakes, you're not learning anything. And different, don't sell ideas, sell benefits. Love and it. that's answer, That's the answer to success. So what's what's next for Ron Klein? Why, where, where do you go from here, Ron? Just keep providing benefits to the world. I'm, I'm uh, handling my own challenges. You know, I've, I've got some of those challenges, and but I've lived with them. I have a very, very bad back because I was injured in Korea, of course, and I was hit, and I came back with a purple heart, and I live with that problem, and it's been exacerbated, and it's inoperable, so I live with pain 24-7. Oh. I solved that by becoming a, a senior Olympic, Olympian bicycle yes. rider, because I discovered when I'm on the bike, leaning over, it opens up the facet joints in my spine where I'm crushing the nerves, and I have pain for two hours, pain-free for two hours. Solution. <laughs> it's worked <laughs> out so well that in 2003, I became Athlete of the Year in cycling in, in awesome. the state of Florida. <laughs> so I, I went on. I was winning triathlons and winning all that stuff. And then um, I only have sight in one eye, but, hey, that's why we have two. So I, <laughs> I've got sight in one eye, and um, I, I don't let those things interfere. It's I had a heart attack uh, about five years ago, and I didn't even know I was having it. And I just fit that in. They put in a stent take a couple of drugs and medication, I move on. So go. anything that interferes with my life, I just fit that in. I, and, you know, I have to say, look, I'm, I'm busy innovating and creating. I don't have time for this other nonsense. So that's just daily maintenance. Just like you take your car in for an oil change sure. every once in a while. I got in and, and got myself a stent. It's nice. <laughs> you know what I, you know, you know what I learned today, Jeff? What? I learned that you have to be smart, daring, and different. And you have to have the discipline to listen because God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. That's very true. I love it. Very true. You know what? 
I refuse to have a battle of wits with an unarmed person. So I listen to everybody. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, so I, I listen very carefully. Anyway, listen, I'm gobbling up a lot of you guys' time. And That's I'm sure why you're you here. Ask me some questions. Yeah, you're here to tell your story. We've been asking you questions, and uh, you're, you've been fantastic with us and letting us know your story. And you've, you even answered some questions before we even had the opportunity to ask the question. So it's been great. Got a nice timeline all the way from the 60s to the Absolutely. 2000s. And, you know, Ron's still doing his thing out there. He's a, a speaker and all that. Ron, what, what is a good website for uh, people to get in touch with you and, and stay kind of in the know with Ron Klein? Love it, thank you. It's I have two um, two domain names and they both go to the same place. One is a little bit easier. It's the number four ronkline.com. And that's R O N K L E I N dot com. So four ronkline.com will take you right to my website. The actual website is the grandfather of possibilities.com but there it is. possibilities is so hard to spell most people make a mistake you know they'll leave out the i or something <laughs> thank like god, that thank god for google <laughs> right if you type it into google wrong at least it'll correct you and get you to the right place Ron, right have, and have I'm you all written over a google, book yet yeah. i'm sorry have you written a book yet oh yeah arlene is okay. a, a great writer and she wrote my bi- my uh, biography and it's a super book it's called the grandfather of possibilities it's available on Amazon, or it's available on my website, and I'd love somebody to just uh, order it up, and I'll, Arlene will sign it, and I will sign it and send you a personal copy. So, ladies so and gentlemen, go buy the book. That's available. The other thing, if somebody wants to play around with, is the, uh, the thing for the visually impaired. The app is free, and you can go on the website uh, and get a sample label and just play around with it. Anybody can do that. What's the app called? idea? Okay, the uh, the app is called Envision Eli. That's E-N-V-I-S-I-O-N, and then Eli is E-L-I. He was the blind prophet that read the, the yes, uh, yeah. Bible in Braille uh, in biblical days, of yep. course. So Envision Eli, you'll get, you can download the free app, whether it be an Android or an iPhone. And then if you go on EnvisionEli.com, there's a sample label in there. You can just print that out or copy it and play around with it. Um, you can re-record. You can use it to say what's in the, con- the container, the box, or whatever, and uh, you don't have to go and buy labels. So, That's amazing. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting, innovative gadget, and I think people will come up with many, many ideas as to how to be innovative and creative. So I solved the problem for the blind and there's another issue that if somebody can come up with a better idea, call me. Let's talk about it. I'll put you in the business. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Ron Klein. Ron, I want to thank you for being on the show today. You are uh, an inspiration, a motivation, and a problem solver. I'll tell you that. Yeah, Ron, uh, Thank you. I, I feel the same way. Thank you for being on today. It was a fantastic story to really hear, you know, where you started in the 60s and where you've been going all the way up until now and, you know, still innovating after. The man that won't si- retire. Yeah, no, 60 <laughs> years of innovation. Uh, give it up for Ron Klein. Go check out his website for ronkline.com and, of course, the grandfather of possibilities.com. And for all of you guys who uh, want to check out the, uh, the, the, the label piece, they can go uh, deal Vision. with that uh, for envisioneli.com. 
com. You can find out all about that. And of course, again, I want to reiterate the things that we learned today from the grandfather of possibilities that you got to be smart. You got to be daring. You got to be different. Have the discipline to listen because God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. Keep listening. Keep solving those problems. Follow Finding Your Frequency online. FindingYourFrequency.net at Radio Ryan 1 at Jeff Spinney 2. And come back next week as we bring you some more fantastic radio from right here at the Voice America Variety Channel.